This is Resist and Renew. The UK-based podcast about social movements. What we're fighting for, why, and how it all happens. The hosts of the show are... Me, Kat. Uh, me, Sammy. And me, Ali. I'm recording this now, baby. Shit, it's a podcast! <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to this sneaky extra episode of the Resist and Renew podcast, where we are interviewing um, Avia. Do you want to say hi, Avia? Hi! What? <laughs> Seamless. Um, so, uh, Avia is um, a lecturer um, at Birkbeck, which is part of the University of London, and also does a lot of community organising. Um, she's involved in the East End branch of Sisters Uncut, which is um, one branch of a national um, organisation that's like a direct action collective fighting cuts to domestic violence services and other forms of state violence. Um, and Avia is also involved in um, local uh, branches of, Hack- of Copwatch, so Hackney Copwatch, um, London Renters Union, and is also involved in the Kill the Bill Coalition, a national movement resisting the policing crime and sentencing bill that is currently going through the parliamentary organs uh, as we record this in early March. 2022. Uh, so, first things first, Avia, um, what can you say about the political context that you are organising in? Um, the current political context is probably the most intense political context that I've ever organised in. It's been um, a very intense year. Um, and yeah, there's, there's a sort of ongoing political crisis, uh, particularly for the Metropolitan Police that we, um, you know, at Sisters Uncut and also the Kill the Bill Coalition and Copwatch groups have been organising to exploit, (laughs) um, if that doesn't sound too Machiavellian. Actually, maybe I don't mind if it sounds too Machiavellian. I do want to destroy <laughs> the cops, so that's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, like, I guess that kind of, that emerged out of, you know, I mean, Sisters Uncut have been organising around policing and the impact of policing, particularly um, around gendered violence for like a number of years. Um, you know, there's the occupation of Holloway Prison, organising around the um, death of Sarah Everard, um, not Sarah Everard, Sarah, um, Sarah Reed, um, a few years ago in Holloway Prison. Um, and yeah, highlighting the, you know, spending years organising, highlighting the dangers of, of what we would call like um many sort of black feminists call carceral feminism so the kind of feminism that invests in the police and prisons as a sort of remedy for gendered violence and that actually you know we've been organizing around that for years to kind of highlight how dangerous and how um effectively it ends up punishing the survivors it claims to be supporting um and it was in that context of years of sort of organizing around that um that a situation emerged around the disappearance and um, murder of Sarah Everard. Um, And yeah, I mean, you know, she 
was quite a relatively unusual situation that happened um of uh you know a targeted kidnapping um in full view you know on on the streets doesn't happen very often it's not usually the way like you know um women are targeted for gendered violence is quite rare to sort of for a stranger to sort of abduct someone and kill them um that being said you know as it emerged that the person who had done that was a serving metropolitan police officer um and later um as it emerged that he had used all of the state apparatus that was given to him in order to carry that out um and actually arrested kidnapped her in front of passers-by that in itself created a a huge 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 um situation political situation for the metropolitan police um in the early days after her disappearance you know there was a vigil that was announced um by reclaiming streets um which they started as a response to the fact that the police were telling women in Lambeth to sort of stay at home when when Sarah Everard had gone missing and um the person who was responsible for her disappearance was still at that point on large at large and unknown, unknown um you know they were telling women in Lambeth to stay at home and reclaim these streets had the vid like decided to have this vigil as a response to that what they interpreted as police misogyny as making it you know women's responsibility to essentially curfew themselves um as their protection um and not actually be part of public life essentially um you know the metropolitan police did everything within they within their power to stop reclaim the streets from going ahead with their vigil um they went down the sort of uh, legalistic route to try and to try and gain the the sort of legal right to 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 do that because it was during lockdown and the police were interpreting the lockdown rules as basically banning protest and any kind of assembly um and you know they went to the high court and all of this and eventually they actually because the police were still refusing to facilitate th this as legal protest or a legal vigil reclaim these streets stepped down stepped out of 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 the vigil and kind of tried to cancel the vigil at the last minute on the day of it um and it was highly publicized a lot of people were planning on going anyway uh sisters uncut had said sort of a few days before that we were going to be there and present and we took the decision to go anyway um and yeah it was it was after that that you know basically we we went the police initiated a violent crackdown the that was very highly publicized by the media uh the violence of it and 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 the context of of that kind of violence was very shocking to a lot of people a lot of people who might not ordinarily be particularly critical of the police um and and we essentially you know made the argument that if people are you know we've known for a very long time and been very realistic about the violence of the police we weren't really particularly surprised at their violence we've been organizing on this for a number of years um and at that point when when so much of the sort of media attention was had pivoted towards this incident um both in terms of sarah everard but also the violence of the police officers at the vigil in her name 
you know, we kind of highlighted that the following week, more powers were being proposed to be given to the police. And um, it was out of that that, you know, we thought it was important to mobilise against the police crime sentencing and courts bill. Um, and yeah, over the last year, we've kind of seen the political crisis for policing essentially only grow. Um, the movement for the police crime and sentencing courts bill as well, or kill the bill has also sort of grown and matured. And yeah, so now we're in a situation, you know, sort of a year later where, you know, you know, more than 50% of Londoners don't trust the Metropolitan Police. Cressida Dick has now finally stood down. Um, and yeah, cop watch groups have sprung up across the country, but across the capital as well, as a means of um, resisting police powers, the powers they already use, but also the powers proposed in the, in the, um, in the bill. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been a wild year um and yeah that's that's the context that i'm currently organizing in mm. no thanks for that that's really useful um and it feels like because obviously you, you you described it as like a like a like a crisis for mm. policing not just the met police but probably a little bit more broadly yeah. as well like do you, what do you feel like it is as to why that's happening like now specifically like obviously you mentioned some of the reasons around specifically the Sarah Everard um, uh, vigil that ended up getting highly repressed and generated a lot of backlash for the Met from people who normally are quite pro the Met yeah um, but you also mentioned like there's been a long history of other kinds of organising and campaigning around like police violence and state violence so like do you feel like there are other reasons around like the now specifically as to like why this feels like more exploitable now like one thing that comes to my mind is obviously like there's been a lot more focus in the last few years around like groups talking about like abolition and things like that after like some of the like black lives matter uprisings and things like that like what do you do you feel like there are other like things that have led to this point that feel worth mentioning yes um I mean, the interesting thing is, is that so myself and another comrade from Sisters and from Copwatch, Shanice, currently writing a book about abolitionist politics for the British context. And when we started writing that book was, well, the first sort of like, you know, proposal was being put together like just before the pandemic hit. And that was very much a like kind of like, oh, we need to make an argument as to why abolition should be taken up by the left in Britain. And now it's like a completely different story. Um, a lot has happened in the last two years. And we're now we're now in the midst of our own abolitionist movement. That is a response to the particular situation in Britain is not kind of a borrowed politics from from the US um and kind of yeah what led to that I, th I actually do think you know part of it is is this growing kind of awareness of abolitionist politics from the US context but also you know there's a growing authoritarianism and a growing problem of policing in prisons in the British context which is like you know 
it is becoming whatever part of the left that you're organizing in um it's becoming increasingly clear that you you can't really ignore policing um policing is is becoming or has become the way in which like capital mediates itself um and you know it's it's something that we're constantly having to confront whether or not you know you're going to a climate protest or you're um doing a rent strike you're doing an eviction resistance you know whatever it is there's just there's just so many instances where sort of policing and some kind of coercive state like presence is is creeping into every area um and you know i think the pandemic really um kind of turbocharged that you know um we saw in 2020 um with black lives matter um and the kind of state responses to black lives matter so not only was that you know a that was a response to what was happening to george floyd or what happened to george floyd and what was happening in the us um but it was also speaking to people's experiences black people's experiences here in britain and the responses to those protests um really highlighted that um and it and also what people were experiencing in terms of racism more broadly um and in, during the pandemic you know black and brown people being the most likely to die from or get seriously ill with covid and the kind of conditions that they're um you know that they were like living through and then also being extremely heavily policed at a point when no one was no one was about and yet suddenly all of the policing attention was being focused on black communities um and so yeah i you know that kind of created this um i don't know i you know i also don't think that you know sarah everard like Sarah Everard's murder may well not have happened had the pandemic not happened. You know, Wayne Cousins used his additional COVID powers in the context where people kind of, you know, had this tacit acceptance that the police are now allowed to come up to you whenever they want. Um, and he kind of exploited that, that shift in that culture. Um so yeah, there's there's that side of things, but there's also this growing resistance to that and kind of like questioning of, of that state power through Black Lives Matter, through what happened at the vigil, and through you know this general this general sense of people's unease about how much power the state should have over our daily lives. Um, so you know, the state has kind of used the pandemic to kind of gain more power but i also think it's it's robbing people up in a different way in terms of like people that maybe might not have had this critical like understanding of the state um are becoming increasingly uneasy with that and so like there's all of these different things happening both internationally and nationally that i think kind of you know has led to this thank you for yeah that that um just helped me like get a bit of a different understanding as to how how we got to here because I hadn't necessarily thought about why why the policing 
I hadn't even thought like policing was in a crisis. I was like, well, police are bad and people are protesting about it because that's what we do. But like, that is like the ideological reasons that some people come to us and like maybe the people that I know are part of that, but like the wider context, which is, it just feels like there's a few different streams coming together and that's causing a bit of a shit show for the police. And that's good broadly, even if it's like <laughs> really intense for people who are organizing against it. And also the intensity of the way that that repression state violence is, is more in in the current context um so yeah that is helpful for me to just process that um in our introduction we said that you were part of hackney cop watch and that is one of the organizations that's kind of sprung up in in this context could you tell us a bit about what is what is cop watch what is it what is it about what's it trying to do so I suppose the legacy of sort of cop watch organizing um in my mind sort of you know owes itself to the kinds of police intervention work and community defense groups that kind of got set up in the sort of 70s and 80s um particularly in response to the heavy police police repression in black communities that um, sparked the riots in the early 80s and the mid 80s um, but also the you know police refusal to act on um, hate crimes racist murders um, and so out of those conditions a number of different um, sort of community defense groups police monitoring groups um, got set up um, to do the work of holding the police to account and protecting um, protecting community members um, from from the police and from from racist violence, um, and more recently with everything that's been happening with um, you know the fallout from Sarah Everard and the you know constant stories that have come up um, of you know sort of police violence and misogyny. Um, I think one of the things that we wanted to do was kind of link link that growing interest to the kind of organising that has been happening um, for a number of years around policing um, and to make the political argument and counter what the Metropolitan Police want to do is kind of make that bad apples argument um, and, and de-link, you know, the death of Sarah Everard from other deaths that happen or have happened in police custody. Um, I think it's really important to make the point that Sarah Everard's death was a death in police custody um, because it stops them from getting away with making this about this one monster when essentially, you know, Wayne Cousins is, is, is not an aberration. He is one along a spectrum of 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 people um in a very violent institution and and it's really important to kind of make the links between that instance which many people have got their attention on and all the other instances of police violence that happen every single day and all the other deaths in custody that have happened as a result of that police violence every single day um 
it, a there's that political argument of linking that um but b there's you know well what can we do what can we do about that um you know a lot of people um were really shocked for instance when they heard that sarah everard was arrested in front of people people saw that they didn't intervene they thought that you know oh this is a police officer he has every right to do that he's in the right she's in the wrong she's probably a criminal um and you know people like us who've been organizing around policing um for number for many years know that there are things that you can do in a situation when you see the police um interacting with someone on the streets that you you can intervene in some ways you can do things you can be proactive we don't know if that would have made a difference in that instance um but it's possible it is possible and um you know we think it's you know possible that if someone had intervened in the police stop of Russian Charles that maybe maybe you know that wouldn't have led to his death we don't know but it's possible um and so you know on the one hand you know cop watch is about building up that community understanding um and 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 skills to be able to do something in that situation but also there's something more expressly political in that not just around accountability and just around knowing your rights um but effectively if you can organize enough people to do that in a coordinated way then you actually can withdraw consent from policing altogether um we kind of still seen examples of this with the anti raids movement um the anti raids movement which you know essentially intervenes in immigration enforcement um we saw you know what has now become a very spectacular example in Kenmare street in glasgow last year um but i think what what is important to understand about that and what what kind of copwatch local community copwatch groups can do around that is that no matter how sophisticated policing or immigration enforcement in terms of their like skills their money their resources and their technologies fundamentally it doesn't work if we don't consent um there are still many more of us than there are of them and they can them no how sophisticated their technology is they can't account for if hundreds or even thousands come out on the streets to say no um and so effectively that is what copwatch is kind of aiming to do is to kind of intervene in police powers at the street level and make what you know the police sentencing courts uh bill ungovernable we know it's going to pass into law but we do have the power to not to to, to essentially stop it being effective um and withdraw our consent to that So I think it'd be great if we can dig into that a little bit more in terms of because um, I think it's an important narrative and one that I think isn't necessarily generalized into society that much. The expectation that the 
um, the policing bill will pass and the plan is to build the structures that will allow us to continue to resist it once it's passed rather than focusing on parliamentary process which I guess is like a that's a that's a tactical choice right and so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about like what what does the nuts and bolts of being in a cop watch group look like like what kinds of things do you do for example and now you do street stalls because I walked past you on one <laughs> at the weekend <laughs> so like um but i imagine you don't literally just do stalls i don't know you probably do other stuff so like yeah could you just like kind of tell the story of what what kind of tactics are you using as cop watch groups and like why those versus other stuff that plausibly groups like you could consider doing yeah that sense? yeah it makes total sense um so it's very early doors and um we have a bit of a strategy in place and a kind of sort of short-term, medium, long-term strategy. Um, I, I love it. <laughs> Already I'm sold. Carry on. Um, at the moment, we, you know, so we've been running the sort of know your rights, police intervention trainings um, locally within the Hackney area. Um, and we've been also particularly been offering those trainings to um, groups um, in the local area. Um, so, you know, London Renters Union, residence groups, um, trade union branches, um, you know, um, we've got, you know, some plans to do um, one with some of the delivery drivers who've been out striking with the IWGB. Um, so, like, essentially get a sort of building up that knowledge and building up, like, sort of relationship building. Um, with different groups across across the across the borough, um, but also essentially identifying strategic places within the borough to focus deeper levels of organising. Um, so, you know, for instance, the Pembury Estate um, is quite an interesting place um, that we're you know working around organising around the, the Pembury Estate. Um, it came became pretty infamous during the during the 2011 riots um, because, you know, an actual all-out fist fight, you know, happened between <laughs> members of the community and the cops. Um, and they put up a, a fierce, fierce, like, you know, physical resistance of the cops, um, which then made, you know, Hackney really infamous for that reason. Um, it's all been sort of regenerated now. And one of the things that's, you know, quite interesting is that the... We got some intelligence from uh, a resident um, that uh, Peabody have started putting an extra sort of surcharge um, for extra policing to pay for extra police patrols of that estate. Um, so not only are you paying for policing in your general taxes and your you know, council tax, you're also paying an extra surcharge, service charge, um, you know, your housing association flat for extra patrols on top of that. Um, that's, that's <laughs> fucked. <laughs> I don't have an intelligence. I don't have an intelligent response to that. That's so <laughs> fucked. Yeah. So I don't know if Peabody are doing, um, if that's just a Peabody thing, um, a Pembury thing, or if that is a Peabody sort of housing association, sort of, you know, maybe some kind of Mopac, you know, mayor's police crime, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what whether it's wider than that or not. But, you know, that's something that, sh you know, strategically, you know, we want to focus our efforts around, 
you know, organizing, you know, that estate, um, not only in terms of, you know, should you have to pay for that, but also in terms of physically, you know, confronting when those patrols are out and, and with, again, withdrawing consent at the physical level, but also the financial level. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of like one of the things that we're kind of trying to focus on. Um, and at the moment, we're also trying to gather more information from other estates about like what is going on um, on their estates, like, you know, around policing and like trying to gain a, a bigger picture. Um, and, and, you know, I mentioned unions earlier. And one thing that I think is really important because we're focusing quite a lot at this point on um, street level sort of stop and search. Um, I think it's very important that we also broaden out our, you know, a kind of definition of like COP, what COP means in COP Watch, um, to also mean, you know, turning out for eviction resistance, you know, to also mean turning out for picket lines, you know, picket lines, um, effective picket lines have almost been policed out of existence, you know, what picket lines were their most effective when hundreds and thousands of people turned on them, uh, turned up to them, and the police brutalized those picket lines until they, you know, no one turns out to them anymore, and or they've made them, you know, illegal to it made it illegal to do so. We've seen the Great Ormond Street um, uh, um, security guards have had an injunction taken out of them and told that, you know, they're not, you know. They wanted them to have only six people in their pickets and they're not allowed to have pickets every day and they're too noisy. And it's like really foreshadowing of what the police crime sentencing courts bill will do, not only to protest, but also to unions. And so I, I think it's locally really important that we make the links with renters union groups, with trade union branches to not to link what community policing with stop and searches with, you know, um, policing that turns out to evictions, the policing that turns out to picket lines, because the police and the state see these things as connected, but we don't often see them as connected in terms of our political response. And so, yeah, I think that's that's also an important point to make. Mm. I love it. Thank you so much. Um, just a, maybe a quick clarifying question um, to make sure that I've got it straight in my head, because obviously, like, and um. I'm aware that you're involved and have been involved in like the Kill the Bill Coalition, which is like a broader coalition, and you're also involved in like Copwatch and in, in mm. wearing the hat of like a specific local Copwatch group, Hackney Copwatch. So like, just to make sure that I'm clear in my head, so like Kill the Bill, correct me if I'm wrong, please, Sevilla, is like, that's like a broader coalition um, against specifically this policing crime sentencing and courts bill that's going through Parliament mm. now. Yeah. And it has involved a lot of different groups that are coming together to like do and coordinate stuff against this bill. And then yeah. Copwatch, I guess, is like a thing that's emerged more recently. The coalition's been around for like a year and a bit. Copwatch has only been around since, well, this specific instance of Copwatch groups has been around since like last summer or something, I feel. Probably actually only the end of last year. End of last year. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of more the like practical tactic of like, Kill the Bill is often like there'll be big demos and stuff like that, but Copwatch is the like you can do this in your local area, like bringing abolition yeah. to your local community type stuff. That's kind of like, yeah, yeah. So you know, one thing it's probably good to so yeah, like the Kill the Bill Coalition, Sisters Uncut were like one one constituent part of a n number of different groups, like loads and loads of different groups 
part of that coalition. Um, and one of the things that was like kind of has been, you know, I think it's one of those things where you're like, you don't really know when you're in it, like how this is going to sort of emerge historically um, and whether this this or that would have turned out to be good or bad or whatever. Um, but one of the things kind of that emerged was that there were there were differences of politics around a parliamentary strategy and a strategy of making the bill ungovernable in the streets. And, you know, I don't mind saying that Sisters Uncut maintained that we, you know, we thought that the bill was going to pass, um, that the likelihood would be that some things would be taken off the bill, probably some of the protest stuff. Um, we thought actually that that would probably come more from Pretty Patel as a divide and rule kind of thing. But actually that was, you know, that did, it's fair to say that, you know, the movement did pressure that as a win through the Lords. And that is something that perhaps we didn't anticipate. Um, but, you know, it it's kind of easy to see how the protest stuff, because there was much um, bigger and stronger and more movement infrastructure to attack those parts of the bill and that black communities and gypsy Roma traveler communities were the most likely to still, you know, have all of those measures still forced through the bill. That was kind of obvious at the beginning and, you know, Pretty Patel would probably be hoping for at least some of that protest stuff is going to stay on, probably still is hoping for that and see how much he can basically get through. Um, but yeah, we we kind of expected that it would, you know, the bill would pass. And so therefore, if that's the case, what is our best way of, you know, is, is making it ungovernable? And like, yeah, so there were different, I wouldn't say there was really debate necessarily, but, you know, people ended up um, organising their own strategy, essentially. Um, and, you know, Extinction Rebellion, People's Assembly, Kill the Bill Official, um, I think most of their activities have focused around the parliamentary schedule. Um, and, you know, I think that it has it, it has achieved some things. I think it's fair to say that that's, that's true. That's then that has been won through that movement. Um, you know, I've noticed that, you know, Extinction Rebellion were, I think they've taken it down now, but they did post out some... Um, campaign to ask MPs to accept the bill as it was um, at this point. So essentially, you know, they've got the bits of the bill that they think that they can get through their strategy and they don't want it ping-ponging between the Lords and, and, and Parliament. And so they're asking and telling people to ask them to put the bill through as it is. And, you know, I guess we, you know, we thought that this was somewhat predictable like that this this kind of politics would end up emerging if you didn't have a politics of solidarity and if you don't have a politics that is kind of you know live to this these kind of divide and rule tactics um and so yeah like we kind of you know kind of was aware that that was going to happen and kind of like well in that case what we've got to do is organize communities to resist the bill, starting with COP Watch, broadening that out as far as possible. Um, 
and and yeah now now the the parliamentary strategy is is, is kind of coming to a natural end I think that the the you know and in some ways notwithstanding like the the shit from XR that is like you know I think they've taken down now from a lot of criticism um you know it, it remains to be seen whether or not those two kind of um those two kinds of strands of strategies in the end complemented each other it's kind of hard to say when you're in it whether or not this is like a conflictual thing or actually something that complements it or you know um it might actually be like you know we weren't going to do the parliamentary strategy maybe someone needed to be doing the parliamentary strategy do you know what I mean um so yeah like I think now now that parliamentary strategy is coming to an end I think you know it's it's that bit but yeah that kind of hopefully that gives you an understanding of of the different different players and different people and how it how it all delineates but Copwatch essentially kind of came out of well we've got to be organizing to make it ungovernable what does that look like police intervention you know let's do these trainings let's let's build up community resistance essentially yay and also I've been watching Sammy's face during that and when he said the stuff about uh the parliamentary divides and stuff her face was just like no <laughs> don't throw each other under the bus to get don't fucking accept it <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it's so bad i mean We've... i like to think i like to think that i maintain uh, a healthy pessimism of the intellect but i'll be honest i was shocked Eve. i was shocked oh. by that i was shocked uh... Yeah, I mean, it is painful. And I don't know, there's there's questions there about XR, you know, I know that Roger Hallam, when he set up XR had a lot of, you know, disdain for the rest of the left that, you know, holds him back and holds, you know, what he thinks ought to be happening back with all of its political correctness and da 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 da. There's that going on. But also, you know, there's a lot of a lot of groups on the left are very reluctant to work with XR for very very good reasons and when XR have tried to they've kind of been a bit lukewarm and so there's there's a bit of a tricky relationship there going back and forth that it's like they don't foster a, a politics of solidarity maybe we don't foster a, a politics that kind of encourages them to shift around that because we we don't really want to work with them very much like I, you know I won't say that I wouldn't work with XR and, you know, I've, I've talked to XR members throughout this process, but it is, it's, it's finding, finding a good working relationship through those, those issues is hard. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Uh, it's super complex and super messy and painful when it gets like uh, those values come up against each other and strategies are like really different. Uh, yeah. Yuck. I'm glad I, I'm glad I wasn't involved in any of those discussions. <laughs> um on a more positive note, I I want to circle back to the idea of mobilizing delivery drivers, I think or riders. That's like hacking the gig economy to to, to get Copwatch mobile. That sounds so good. So that yeah, that sounds amazing. Um yeah, I guess the the divide that we've been kind of talking about in politics and strategy in the kill the bill movement kind of makes a good segue to our question about like how how do you live the values that you have in Copwatch 
as an organization i guess like internally like what does that look like to i don't know embody abolition internally or whatever whatever other values are important to to this like forming organization network I mean, so one thing that kind of springs to mind, because I probably have more sort of like a long range view of this in terms of sisters than Copwatch, as Copwatch has only been around like, I think Hackney Copwatch started in like November. Um, And I guess one of the things that kind of interested me about this question when I was reflecting on it is like how much my values have changed. you know, Sisters Uncut started in 2014, end of 2014. And I think the va- the way in which we interpreted like organizing and like living our values, you know, at the beginning or 2014, 15, 16, da-da-da, um, for a lot of us has really changed a great deal. Um, and I suppose in a way, cop watch organizing reflects some of those changes um and one of the things that kind of i'm thinking about is i suppose there was elements of like um elements of our organizing that you know were really really great we got a lot of stuff done we could organize very quickly um but sometimes in the, the structure of our organizing um, and maybe the political atmosphere at that time was, you know, could be kind of depoliticizing almost or not really encourage deep, deeper political discussion or scrutiny over our politics. And so, you know, you know, I'm kind of thinking of it's a bit of a trope either way, but like maybe the 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 more reactionary aspects of what is called identity politics, um, kind of, you know, at the time we we considered ourselves to be living our best anti-racist selves, or you know, um, whatever kind of like form of oppression, you know. We, we considered at the time to be to be doing that well and I think a lot of us not all but a lot of us um have reflected on that and and, and feel differently about it um and feel differently about how we approach our organizing um you know things like you know having a, a sort of policy in which you no know, sisters who are not from x experience can't speak or or make policies on on why um in terms of efficiency and 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 speed that could be quite quick but it 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 kind of emerged that actually over time it it wasn't it was not effective it was not an effective kind of politics and it it rose a, a lot of problems and like you know what happens when people of that same identity don't agree and don't have the same politics you know it doesn't account for that and yes deeper deeper over time deeper problems kind of kind of emerged through that and I think maybe maybe some of that um 
maybe I think cop watch organizing is 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 a reflection of of some of the learnings of that that actually that way of organizing is not is not particularly effective for for revolutionary organizing for want of a better word it isn't and if you want to you know uh meet communities where they're at and ensure that everyone has a say in in their in their liberation and a buy-in to their liberation then that that kind of politics you know it it doesn't really work and so yeah i think you know what it means to kind of live our values in that sense i think has 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 changed a lot for a lot of us who've organized in sisters and are now organizing in copwatch um and are now approaching that very differently in terms of you know like i said meeting people where they're at um what what accountability looks like when people fuck up um you know or when people behave in ways that is oppressive is very different maybe now how we would approach it compared to maybe six or seven years ago um but yeah it's 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 I guess it's a different way of thinking about like, well, how do we, how do we approach our values and like, what does it look like? And what does being anti-racist mean? And um, what is it, what, not only what does being anti-racist mean individually, but what is an anti-racist strategy? Like how, how do we actually confront the power um, and whittle down the power that, that, the, you know where racism where capitalism comes from how do what is the strategy to actually confront that and actually you know get into a position where we have like more of that power and they have less you know it's not just about being individually better or worse you know what I mean and so like yeah I guess our values in that sense have really shifted yeah I guess like with cop wash that's like cop watch that's like a new iteration for you to try out new things and take those learnings from from that and i also want to be like sisters sisters having been around since 2014 that's like a long time for like a social movement thing to last and that's cool and i'm guessing that some of those learnings will have also happened internally and the fact that it has survived means that it didn't split and break when so many others do after like a year two years whatever so i'm imagining like those learnings are there too which is which is great um i'm wondering like right at the beginning of this you started by saying that like this moment is like super intense because of this policing crisis and to be organizing in that crisis like what what does living the values mean for getting by and care in that intensity I mean, on a personal level, I think, you know, um, I think I'm get, I'm actually, you know, personally becoming a bit more interested um, in a way that I wouldn't have been in the past around the, like, psycho, psychosocial kind of, you know, 
like therapeutic pastoral aspects of organizing you know rather than just being like traditionally the grubby little materialist that i've always been and not (laughs) not (laughs) i love that description of yourself grubby little materialist yeah that's kind of was my mo for a long time i think i've become a lot more interested in like how our organizing is influenced by trauma um how that shows up in our organizing how our organizing perpetuates that um and um yeah i think i'm becoming a bit more interested in like how we can incorporate some of those questions just a little bit more into like you know owning that for ourselves creating a little bit more of a culture where it's just you know we can talk about that a little bit more in a meeting space or make a little bit more space for that um uh in terms of owning that for ourselves but also collectively what you know what does it look like to to kind of ask the questions around burnout around um you know poor poor decisions uh, you know around really horrible things that might happen on an action that you know are traumatic um the reasons why we turn up in the first place the traumas that brought us to this organizing in the first place how that you know all of those kinds of questions um i've i've become a bit more interested in in terms of like what we can collectively do to like look after ourselves um and each other um so yeah i've i you know i've yeah i've personally been like kind of thinking about experimenting a bit essentially with agendas with certain kinds of questions like rather than just doing the the sort of basic like functional um trad agenda like how can we incorporate some of these questions that encourages us to kind of unpick that a little bit along the way of doing the practical stuff um so yeah that's that's one thing that's kind of on my mind um a little bit i don't know about other people I can't speak to other people, but that's a personal one. <laughs> as a as a facilitation collective, we're going to be happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. That reminds me. I was I was part of a group once where um, I was I strongly pushed the idea, which was maintained for a large portion of the life of the group. And I thought I still think it was a really good plan where each meeting was two hours, but it was a strict split between one hour of like more educationally learningy stuff and then one hour of like actual meeting. And like we maintained that for the whole life of the group. And I think it was such a good idea. And like I think thinking of those ways of like how can we not just like replicate the same meeting agenda just because it's what we've seen like I definitely see it a lot. I don't know if you experience the severe, but like I see it in groups a lot where people will like basically bring their union meeting agenda to like non union meetings yeah and like the vibe you can just see like you can see people doing it and like trying to make it fit and it doesn't really fit because people are really often really hostile to that like who's gonna chair the meeting and people are like fuck you there's no chair in this meeting (laughs) and like how those things can uh can shift i think is uh it's always a challenge but a good a good thing to be plugging away at so yeah definitely i do yeah i've definitely had experience of that and like yeah, I think I think, you know, as, as it's been a few years, I'm just I'm kind of just up for a little bit more reflection of like what has worked and what hasn't worked and like 
you know, I think I'm maybe getting that kind of weird kind of auntie. I'm approaching my mid thirties way of thinking about things that I always used to look at people like Gargi Bhattacharya and be like, oh wow, why is auntie? Why is auntie? And now I'm like, <laughs> now I'm starting to be like, mm, thinking of the last ten years, like what has worked and what hasn't worked, and maybe we need to just you know take a little moment to just like you know mm. this and think about it and kind of like rather than do what I did when I was. 21 22 which was just like all guns blazing don't sleep just work just like <laughs> <laughs> um don't think about it just do it mm. yeah yeah i definitely agree with that yeah i think i guess like it's like the thing which people say like if you don't make the decision to rest then like your body will make the decision for you it feels like an equivalent one for like if you don't make the decision to reflect like the context will eventually make the decision for you like eventually you'll have to start reflecting on how stuff's going even if you don't want to um so i'm conscious we've uh we've taken up a lot of your time uh avia so i just want to want to ask you the final question that we had if that's all right which is what can people do if they are super inspired by what they've heard whether they are or are not in hackney uh what can people what can people do to get involved in stuff? well um there are um well, there there have been since you know the end of last year a number of um cop watch groups have sprung up not only in london but across the country um you know um there's there's some in different boroughs all over all over london um so i encourage you know I encourage we don't actually have like a sort of depository at the moment but I think you know if you if if people listening like emailed sisters on car or like dm'd you know hackney cop watch or whatever and was like oh is there one in this area you know or I'm interested in setting one up like yeah you will be able to get in touch with someone to help you there's got to be a more streamlined way of doing that which we've not had capacity to sort out yet but and hopefully will um but yeah, I encourage you to either get in in touch with a cop watch group on on Twitter or email sistersuncut at gmail.com to ask any questions about that. Um, and if there isn't one in your area, we're like very happy to help you set one up. Um, but yeah, I think I think the point is, you know, and also, yeah, I wanted to mention there's groups outside London. Um, Manchester Cop Watch is absolutely popping. Liverpool have got one called Busy Watch. For anyone who doesn't know what a busy is, it's scouse for a cop. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a there's a there's one in oh, there's one in Wales. I can't remember the name. Oh, it'd be a uh, pantherod, which is the Panthers in Welsh, or Cardiff Copwatch is what it's also called. Um, but yeah, there's there's different groups like across the country and across the capital as well. So like yeah get in touch and 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 get involved like there's there's shit happening right now people there's a lot of energy for this and um the pressure is really mounting and that's you know that's why they're they're, they're scrambling around for solutions like trying to get rid of Cressida Dick a year too late you know it's like they're feeling the pressure and now's the time to like escalate I love it. What a what a thing to end on. Now is the time to escalate everybody. <laughs> um 
Okay, Doke. Thank you, Avia, so much for taking the time today. Uh, this has been super useful, and I'm glad that we managed to um, have a have a sneaky post uh, season two of our podcast thing, and still managed to chat to you because I think that all this cop watch stuff is, you know, if you're if you're the kind of person we talk sometimes about who listens to this podcast, and we feel like we have one audience, which is like people who like would use maybe previously would have described themselves as like politically active but then like as a burnout or whatever they're just like not really doing stuff anymore but they want to like keep tabs on things if yeah. now is the time when you're like maybe i want to get them back involved in stuff copwatch feels like a great <laughs> a great thing to potentially uh, yeah yeah put yeah put your time in. <laughs> so uh thanks avia and lovely to chat to you Thanks once again for listening to this bonus episode of the Resist and Renew podcast. Thanks to Avia from Sisters and Copwatch and many other things for being on this episode. Thanks to Catherine for doing the transcript on this episode and to Kareem and Klaus for their respective bits of music. So that is definitely it now. We are done for season two. Thanks very much for listening and supporting in whatever ways you did. We're gonna take a good long break now for a few months and maybe we'll be back in season three sometime in the future, who knows? Uh, thanks for listening. Do follow us on socials and get in touch for usual facilitation stuff. And yeah, see you around. Bye.